uh, if anything that I am doing in my life is successful in any way, it's because I'm the product of a really fruitful community. God has just been incredibly kind to me in the people that he's put in my life. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Today's conversation is a bit surreal for me. You see, when I was considering starting this podcast, I did a lot of research by listening to a ton of podcasts. I didn't want to do something that was already being done, and I also wanted to see what a quality podcast should sound like. As you might imagine, I listen to a lot of, shall we say, unimpressive productions. But then I found The Pivot, hosted by Andrew Osinga. Now, here was a podcast that not only had high production values, but also had a host with a tender and caring heart. I think I must have listened to all 70 of the available episodes at the time before I actually started my own adventure as a podcast host. So the fact that you are listening to this podcast at all is thanks in part to Andrew Osinga's great work. Now, I knew who Andrew was because of his band, The Normals. I also knew that he spent some time as part of Cademan's Call, but what I didn't realize was how involved he was in songwriting, or of his guitar prowess both in the studio and on the road with artists like Stephen Curtis Chapman, Andrew Peterson, and Jars of Clay. Besides his podcast, Andrew is also the A&R director at Integrity Music, helping shape the artists and songs that the church uses for worship. So it is a real honor for me to be able to have Andrew as a guest on the Christian Music Archive podcast. But before we listen to our conversation, I hope that as a regular listener of this podcast, you know that my desire is to build community. I believe that many of the problems we are facing as a society today can be traced back to the lack of personal interaction with one another. Oh, sure, we like each other's social media posts and comment on pictures that we share. And I also know that we interact with folks by commenting on their comments to somebody else's comments about something that they read online. But to me, that's not really community. Community is when we roll up our sleeves and get in the trenches together, struggling through tough issues and celebrating the victories. My hope is that by sharing conversations with people who are intentional about building community, that we will get ideas of how we can build community for our families and ourselves. To that end, I would love to hear your stories of what community means to you. Do you have examples of being in a community that our listeners would benefit from? I'd love to hear them. Drop me an email on my website, christianmusicarchive.com slash contact. And maybe by sharing your ideas, we'll be able to encourage each other to grow the community to better our society. Well, I'm really excited to have on the podcast today Andrew Osenga. Uh, Many of you who read credits and so forth will recognize Andrew as a member of the Normals back in the late 90s. Uh, I think you were also part of Cademan's Call for a while, and uh, 
a solo career as well, but uh, you've kind of put that behind you, so to speak, and you're uh, moving on to some other things that I hope to talk about today. So all of that is a really brief introduction to uh, introduce you to my new friend, Andrew Osinga. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dave. Obviously, our website focuses on people who make Christian music, and so I would be remiss if we didn't start there. And I learned something the other day that I think you'll probably confirm. Your first band was The Normals. It, it was, yeah. And that was—I uh, was always curious about the name until I heard where you grew up. Was that a coincidence? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not as, not as clever of a name as—I don't know. I don't think we ever liked the name, really. It was just—it was a deadline. We had to come up with something— that one we could trademark. So that was our name. And you, because you're from um, Normal, Illinois, we are right? From, we are from Normal, Illinois. At least uh, the two are, are, are two the two main guys. Me and my uh, my best friend in high school, uh, who is the guitar player in the band. Okay. So um, I shared this off mic, but I just want to let listeners know one of the reasons that you're hearing the Christian Music Archive podcast is because Andrew has an amazing podcast, and I will strongly recommend that you go listen to it. He has just a heart for um, talking to people about the things that people are going through, the pivots. Yeah, the podcast is called The Pivot, um, and uh, it's been really fun just to talk to people about, you know, the question uh, that I ask is really, uh, what did you do when life stopped working the way it used to? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started talking, I started out thinking, I'm going to talk to people who've moved from one career to another, but um, the truth is, is that everybody's life is just full of change and we all have to we just all have to figure out what to do next every day um and so what do you do and how do you approach that and what can we learn from each other as opposed to uh most podcasts that i you know was listening to especially when i started it which is here's how i succeeded here's how you can succeed right yeah i was in a I just failed a couple a couple times in a row, and I was like, well, yeah, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm always interested as we talk and listen to people's stories how I, I feel like God puts us through periods of time and through situations and chapters in our lives to prepare us for things that he's going to be doing future down the road in us, and and that hindsight, they say, is 2020. Um, let's talk a little bit, because you've, you've spent most of your career in music doing uh, Christian music. Um, how did you get started in music? How did you and your friends decide to start The Normals? Well, you know, it was a, it was a band. Um, it was our high school band that, you know, we, we started to try to get girls and <laughs> <Right>. failed miserably. <laughs> um, but it turns out, you know, we had a little knack for songwriting, and so um, we were we were playing at a conf- at a at a festival in a barn in Central Illinois. Uh, the festival started at nine in the morning. We played at eight thirty, uh, which was we were the we were the local band that just made sure the sound system worked. <laughs> um, but one of the one of the bands later in the evening um, was this band called White Heart that um, was you know had been a big deal in the eighties and was kind of you know it was just had a gig and and they were all kind of like at that point we're all starting their next careers as well but we still go and play shows and uh, one of the guys in that band worked for a publishing company and he heard a couple of our songs we're like man those kids those kids got some pretty good songs ah. um and so that led to us coming down to nashville it was my senior year of high school we came down to nashville a few times and recorded some demos and had no idea what was going on and before you knew it, i had a publishing deal and then and then pretty quickly a, a record deal and um, that I never understood. Uh-huh. And 
so I, I went to two semesters of college down here in Nashville. Um, but the whole time was kind of working on that first record and, and then, yeah, got jumped in a van and, and thought, well, I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll go, you know, finish my degree and become a real contributing member of society. <laughs> and, um, and you know, it's 20 some years later and, and, uh, I'm still doing, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in a lot less vans, which is really good, but right. yeah. um, otherwise I'm still kind of doing the same stuff. So your uh, the normals were together until about two thousand. What transpired after that? Yeah, it was it was like it was like it was college for us, right? So I didn't go to college, but I spent we had we we did four years in that band, and that was where I learned everything and okay. met everybody, you know. Yeah. Um. So we, um, I think through that experience, I, you know, just started, you know, really learn how to write songs. Um by working with better people and um, learn people in the, in the business, met a bunch of fans and, or met, you know, met a bunch of friends in other bands, mm-hmm. not fans. Yeah. Definitely wish we'd met more fans, <laughs> met a bunch of, made a bunch of friends in other bands, yeah. uh, which led to me playing in Cademan's, which I was actually in for seven years. Okay. Um, but which didn't, didn't feel like it, you know, that was, didn't feel like that carried the same weight in my story as the four years I was mm-hmm. in the normals because that was so foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was us and our little scrappy friends, you know, pulling it together. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah. So then when, when that ended, um, Cadman's needed a guitar player to kind of fill in right when Derek Webb had stepped away. And so we were all friends. We'd opened for them the past couple of years and, knew those guys really well so it was like yeah sure i already know all the songs and so filled in for what became seven years and but around that same time started making solo records and and producing records and um just kind of learn figuring out how to be um you know how to serve other people with music uh and how to yeah find my own voice as an artist well, what you just said there reminds me of a quote that's on your website that I just really appreciated. It says, it's my passion to help artists make great music, wise decisions, and to build a healthy business foundation. You kind of, like we said, went through the skull of hard knocks to learn that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, like, I had a publishing deal for five years when I was eight from between the ages of uh, 17 and 22. And I learned what a publishing deal was when I was 29. Oh. <laughs> and I went... Oh man. Oh, that would have been great. You know, uh, to have understood, I've got a kid that's going to go to college in two years and I really wish I had understood what a publishing deal was when I had it. Um, you know, and so how can I make sure that when I'm working with that 19 year old kid, like, Hey, pay attention. Um, they don't always, but at least I know that they were told. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So after your music career as a performer, so to speak, now you went on and you uh, played guitar for a ton of people uh, on the road and in the studio. So what have you kind of done after that? Um, and, you know, how did that music transition you into where you are today? Yeah, well, I think because, you know, I was playing uh, playing guitar for, you know, um, Charles Clay and Stephen Chris Chapman and uh, Andrew Peterson, who I've played with forever, and he was just, you know, right about the time that I stepped away from playing full-time is when kind of people finally paid attention to the fact that, the, hey, here's the best songwriter in Christian music. Um, and um, so, you know, it was like playing good big, to a lot of people, and, and um, but also I had three kids at home, 
uh, and I was gone a lot. So, and I, and the, the truth is, Dave, is I just felt like every day I was going to wake up and I was either going to fail as a parent because I wasn't home or I was going to fail as a provider because I was home, but I wasn't able to make any money. Oh, wow. And I just felt like for a couple of years, just every day I woke up and, and I woke up to fail. Mm. And it just, I couldn't keep doing it. And so um, I remember it just, but at the same time, like I played these, I played in arenas and I've done mm-hmm. a house show tours where I just drove around in my Toyota and brought my own sound system and slept in the car and, and we do those sometimes the same weekend, you know? Um, and then, and booked it all myself. And then I've produced records and written and I just kind of ended up doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, not intentionally, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but with that, with, so what I kind of, I said to a friend one day, I was like, man, I just feel like there used to be jobs for people like me who just kind of like, you just know everybody cause mm-hmm. you've done a little bit of everything and uh, you can speak the language, you know, I can speak the language at a, uh, you know, talking to promoters, I can speak, the, I can go in with a mix engineer and we can talk about compression and, you know, and, and delay ratios and like, it's like, oh, guess what? I could, not a lot of people I think have just have spent time to learn all those random skills. And so, uh, so I said, you know, there used to be jobs for people like me, which were like A&R guys at record companies who would, who kind of have that 30,000 foot view of the business. Um, and at any point need to be able to speak into specifically anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was kind of right after the Spotify, you know, Napster collapse. And right. I just didn't think, you know, none of my friends were, were on labels anymore. Um, but, but it turns out that they were still a big business and mm. that they were still hiring. And so I ended up um, kind of hearing through the grapevine that there was a, a job uh, open at Capital, which is the sort of biggest Christian music company. Right. Um, and in A&R. And, and we, we met with that, met with that team and, um, and the door opened and I was able to, take that role. So uh, it, I got my first job at 35. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was there for a little over two years. And, um, I think about at the two year mark, I l- figured out what that job was <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, but that, that's how I ended up kind of being on the late on the business side. So A&R, that's a term that a lot of people don't understand what that is. Can you describe what that A&R job is? Yeah. Um, it is, uh, it stands for artists and repertoire. So it's the artists and their songs. So essentially um, you've got a couple roles. One, you're kind of the talent scout. You're always kind of looking for the new artists to sign. Um, and you're looking for, for potential collaborations and things like that. And then your, uh, your, your primary job is to sit with the artist and figure out what they, what they want to say mm. and help them figure out the best way to say it. And that's, that's both musically, um, but also strategically. Hey, you know what? I think, I don't think we want to put that record out in April. I think we want to put that record out in November. I think, and here's why, Mm. um, because here's what you're trying to accomplish and having that big picture view, um, to be able to help them, uh, direct that strategically, but, but really specifically like with the songs. And so, um, you know, when my, my artists are, are working on their next project, like the first the first thing that happens is we spend months just listening through demos and uh, I, I go running every, every 
every other day and I just every time I go run I listen to like 45 minutes of my artist's demos and it's wow. just then you know stepping out of the shower I got this idea I'm texting it to you you know in my towel um, or we wrote this song with the you know maybe the verses aren't right and and uh, but I can't do any of that if the artist if we don't have trust established right. so primarily it's like you got to spend time together we need to we just need to hang out and go for walks and have coffee and like, no, I need to, you know, you need to know my family and I need to know yours so that when you send me that song and I say, man, I don't think that second verse is true. I don't think that's, I don't think that's really what you want to say because I know you and I know your story and I know what it is that you want to communicate. And I want to help you do that the best way possible. Um, so then you're also, it's also kind of like, uh, making sure we have the right producers for the record and engineers and things are sounding the right way and people are playing the right things. And um, so I used to be in the studio involved in that all day, you know, and now it's like I'm hiring those people mm. and kind of overseeing that process. And, you know, I'm, I'm the suit that stands in the back of the room now and goes <laughs> like, which I, which I hate. And I don't like to be, I don't like to have that energy, but you can't deny that sometimes that's what's happening. But, Really, it's like just to get in, you know, I, my job is just to come in and encourage. And some, sometimes it's like, it's just, hey, this is great. This is great. And it's due next Friday. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's, hey, this is due next Friday. You and I are going to stay up all night until we get this figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just looks different for every artist in every season. Um, and then, of course, at, when you're at the label, the artist is not there, right. you know, physically. Of course, none of us are physically right now. But, but in general, you know, the, the idea is the artist is out on the road telling their, sharing these stories with people. And it's my job to represent them for the company. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, somebody's got an idea, hey, would so-and-so like to do this thing? I can say, y'all, they would love that. Or, no, that's a terrible idea. They would hate to do that. Um, you know, because I've spent time with them and I, I'm, I have to, to sort of advocate for their vision yeah. within our company. So it sounds like you're a mentor and a manager and a friend, um, all rolled into one. When it works. Yeah. <laughs> when it works. And, uh, it's really, it's been a, it's been a, uh, it's a challenging, uh, role and, um, but it's one I just, uh, I've loved it. It's been really, really, uh, a sweet season. Yeah. So when you started at Capitol, I'm assuming Eddie DeGarmo was still kind of in charge there. Uh, so he, at that point, was uh, running the publishing company. So Eddie signed the normals. Eddie signed. Oh, okay. um, so he, uh, he was, he was there for about. He signed us and then re- sold that company. Like left two or three months later, and then I got to Capital and he was heading up the publishing company. And okay. like six weeks in, he retired. <laughs> I was like, dude, is it me? Is it, what, is it what's the root? Hey, I showered um, last week. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I love Eddie, man. Uh, he's he's a he's a huge figure in my life who I've barely spent any time with. Oh, um, interesting. Just because of that. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring his name up because I heard an interview with him one time that said um, the best way to be successful in the music business is to be a songwriter, and you have a, a history of writing some amazing songs. And so, how much of the A and R process you kind of touched on it, but how much of it is you crafting kind of the position of how these artists should write their music and how they should tweak. I mean, that seems like it's a fairly large part of your job then. 
Yeah, it is. And it's, um, it's, you know, sometimes it involves me actually doing songwriting. A lot of times it's suggesting another lyric, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of unwritten songwriting that or uncredited songwriting that goes on in my role. Um, you know, it, uh, you could almost look at my role as more of like an editor at this point say, oh, Hey, okay. I think if you'd moved this and did that and said this instead of that, this song would work a lot better. Yeah. Um, so like, for instance, the batch of demos that I'm working through right now for an artist, um, which I'm really thrilled with the writing they've been doing. Like, there's there's one song where I go, you know what? These verses, it says I, but it needs to say we. Mm. This whole song is going to make more sense if we say we instead of I. Mm. You know, um, And then there's another song. There's like two songs. Like, you know what? The verses to this song, I think, are actually supposed to be the verses to this other song. Interesting. And and let's see how that works. We'll try that and see if that's terrible or a good idea. Um, and so it's, I think, having written songs for a long time and, and honestly having worked with a bunch of way better songwriters than I am um, gives you the, sort of the viewpoint to sort of know what you can and can't do with songs. What are, what are the rules that you can break and, and what are the rules you shouldn't? And, right. and at the end of the day, the whole point is, how is this, how are you equipping this person to tell the, their story the best way? So people can resonate the most deeply with that artist's story. Mm. Well, it's interesting because for me, I'm, I'm a accountant by trade. So ones and zeros, you know, there's not much room for fudging in there, but so much of what you do is kind of a sense for where people are going and it's not so cut and dried. How do you stay on the pulse of what is going to, because you're working on projects that won't see the light of day for months or years even. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The records I'm working on right now will come out November 21 at the earliest. Yeah. yeah. So how do you stay on the pulse of what's going to be? Do you have a crystal ball? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It's all just, it's all a gamble, man. You know, you just, what, here's, here's what I'll say is you find people that you go, I believe in this person. I think what they do in, is, inspires me. And if it inspires me, I'm going to assume that it's going to inspire other people. And, um, and so you kind of bring them around to all your, your friends, the people you work with, and you go, hey, do you, does everybody else feel inspired around these people? And when everybody says yes, then you go, all right, let's, let's make a path for them to do whatever it is that they want to do. And, um, you know, you, you, you listen to records and you, you try to stay current, but at sure. the end of the day, I mean, it, it's not about, not, not everybody needs to sound like Drake or Lady Gaga or whatever right. is number one. It's like, they just need to sound like the best version of themselves at that moment. And I do that way better by spending time with them uh, than I do by listening to, to the radio. So you're more almost looking for heart and, and passion over... Oh, well, there's got to be some talent too, but you're, you're more looking for the, the person behind the song rather than can they pull it off? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I mean, it's 2020. I can make the worst singer possible sound great if I've got enough time. <laughs> so it's not about, it's not about that at all. You know, it's, it's the, the reason that we love great artists is because we build relationships with them and we trust them, mm -hmm. you know, like, Paul Simon and Bruce Springsteen to me are just like the, the greatest things ever. And it's because I've listened to them for so long. I know their voice. It doesn't right. matter what the track sounds like, you know, them in the seventies, them in the nineties, them now, like that 
everything around them sounds different except for their voice and their stories. That's what mm. rings true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, no matter what we do that's super cool this year, we'll sound stupid in, the, in 10 years. But will people still want to come back to it? And particularly the work, I, now I work at Integrity Music, um, which is a worship music company. So it's, there's another layer added to that that's like, you know, at this point, it's, well, we've got to make the records cool and interesting so people listen to them. But if the song take, what we're really wanting is a song that moves from the record into the congregation yeah and and no longer you know the, at that point the snare drum doesn't matter at all <laughs> it's, right you know i haven't it's so funny like in this job now be, just because every now and then you'll hear a song you'll hear the original recording of a song you grew up with that you never knew had an original recording and uh like oh that's how that song goes like i was raised singing this song i've never heard the actual person sing it and i don't like the way they do it you know, but I'm, cause I'm used to it this other way. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a really fun thing to learn and a, a fun challenge. And like the most beautiful thing in the world to stand in the back of a room, you know, it used to be to stand in the back of a room and watch the stars be great. You watch that, that talented kid, like kill it. And now it's to stand in the back of a room and hear a thousand people mm. singing their own song that, that you know where that song came from. Yeah. That's like another level of just amazing. Well, and that kind of alludes to another thing that I was going to bring up is that there's there's songwriting, and then there's songwriting for radio, because that's a completely different beast, because yeah. uh, like worship songs right now are tending to run six, eight minutes long, but that's not ever going to make it on the radio. And yeah. then there's a whole nother version that's going to be sung in the church. I was listening to Hope Darst the other day talking about how uh, her current song was actually a long song that she reimagined for radio. Yeah. So, so how much, I mean, and, and we know that record companies for the large part are in business to be a business and make money. So radio is a part of that. Church play is a part of that. How do you decide when you're working with an artist? Well, we're going to focus on this as a radio single, or we're going to focus this as something that will be pushed to the churches to, to sing in church. Man, that's a really great question. Uh, and I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, I, I say that just because the, the truth is I'm really, really bad at radio. I've never, I've been involved in Christian music my entire career and I've never really liked Christian radio. And that's nothing against the, the people that work in it or the artists that do well at it. It's just, it's never been the music that's resonated with me since I was 12. You know, um, I always liked the weird artists. I always liked you know, uh, the deep cuts. I was never the radio kid. And so I've, every time that anything I've worked on has worked on the radio, it, I've never, I've never understood it. Like, mm. oh, oh, okay. Um, and most of the work that I've done has been, uh, has been on the, on the fringes. Um, uh, and you know, the, 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 what's maybe most interesting about this current season of where uh, where churches find songs um, is that we, we just did this big survey and of where asking all these worship leaders like where do you find songs and uh, in the U.S. radio is actually the number one driver it's the place where people find songs in the rest of the world there it, radio doesn't even exist because um, America is the only country that actually has Christian radio um, uh, to any you know massive degree. Um, 
but so so you kind of you kind of get songs to the church two different ways. You either get them from from the clouds, it, it rains down. You, you go on K Love, and it just you know it rains over the country, mm-hmm. um, which I've never been good at that part of it. And the other one is that uh, is you go Johnny Appleseed style, and you just uh, you plant a little bit here, you plant a little bit there. You tell your friends, you tell these friends. You 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 do work that you think is great, and you hope that it car- carries beyond you. Um, and the songs that have really reson- resonated that are that I've been a part of have all kind of happened that way. Just like you find out, like, oh, hey, they're singing this song in Tulsa. Have you ever been to Tulsa? No. How to get there? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and though that's exciting to me because it means that 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 people are are really resonating with it in a in a personal way yeah. you know um and and so yeah so it, there's all kinds of it's it's weird it's a weird business to be in to have strategies for how to get songs to worship leaders um i don't i don't love it um in some ways because it's it it can feel awkward but but when you feel it, it feels awkward when it feels like a product but when it's a song that resonates with me then all of a sudden it's like oh this is not a marketing meeting. This is a, this is a, I'm sitting around with my friends talking about how can I tell more people about this amazing thing? Yeah. And, um, and that's a place I like to live. So I don't know if I answered your question at all. Well, I was wondering, do you think that's the reason? Cause, cause kind of the trend right now is local churches recording their own stuff and getting that out there. Yeah. And so this is, uh, tried and true worship music in the trenches, so to speak. It works at my church, and we may have two or three campuses, or the uh, you know another church across town heard it and they're using it. And so there's a lot of church-based groups that are getting deals, so to speak, and some of them are independent, I know, but that are getting music out that way. Is that an outgrowth of trying to get away from the quote-unquote machine and getting back to? what the real heart of worship music is? Uh, oh man, that's a complicated question. Um, I think there's, I think there's a, there's a bunch of things happening there that can be in conflict. Uh, I think that there's, there is a natural expression that you're seeing of people kind of finding their own voice. And then I think there's also um, can be the, Oh man, we want to be cool like elevation. Mm. To to be cool, we need to we need to put out a record, um, and not that everyone that anyone's going to be that that blatant about it. But you, when you spend time in that world, you kind of go like, oh, this. Sometimes it sometimes it rings genuine, and sometimes it rings opportunistic. Yeah. Um, and and that feels really harsh to say, but I think I I can say that having had conversations with five hundred worship bands. Yeah. You know sending me their church's music um you know what's interesting about our, our the company i work for now actually started in the 80s by they bought a recording truck and they went around and they recorded churches that were doing original music and then sent tapes of that music around the country to other churches i didn't know that you know and i remember getting like my dad was the choir director so i remember like getting those like seeing those integrity hosanna tapes yeah when i was a kid and now i know the history of it like oh my gosh that's uh, fascinating yeah paul balash was just like a dude that like led a, like that like led worship at his like college Bible study, and he had all these great songs, and they all were singing them. So they drove the truck over there, and they recorded this kid's songs. You know, and that's how we get open the eyes of my heart, Lord, to me in a farm town in Illinois, fifteen years later. Um, 
it's, it's fascinating. So there's, there's, there are beautiful things about the whole process, but, um, but to, to, I'll say this, this, what matters the most to me is, and what I always look for is like a church that's trying a church whose songs are to try to get on the radio in inevitably initially makes me feel pretty skittish, mm-hmm. but a church that's writing songs for their own body. Right. Man, so, you know, somebody in our church lost their mother last week and as part of our church's grieving together, somebody wrote this song and we we're, now we sing it. Like, well, guess what? That song, that song matters to me. Um, so, so, so songs that come from a community for a community are always valuable. And I think that's, that's the same of, uh, uh, my non worship music writing friends too. Like the, the songs that resonate the most from, of Andrew Peterson and Andy Gullahorn and, 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 Sandra McCracken, like my, that circle of friends that I came up with, like I can tell you, you know, I can, we, I can listen to those records cause those are my friends. And I can tell you exactly who every song is written for. Right. You know, oh, this is for his kid. This is for our, our friend, whoever. And like the, those songs always resonate with people. Um, but the song that's written to be a product, I, I can't run fast enough <laughs> from that. Yeah. One of the things a lot of your guests say is that the song that surprises them on their the success of the song is this was a song that was written out of this angst or this bad time in my life. And obviously, in my mind, this is a song that God spoke into this difficult time, which is, guess what? We all have the similar difficult time. And so that's almost what you're saying with the church, too. And it doesn't have to be difficulty. It could be a celebration. It could be whatever. But because it's born out of our community being together and worshiping together, there's a lot more impact to that than trying to fill a formula. Yeah. Well, to, to me, I'm like, well, of course that's the song that resonated. That's the one you wrote because you had to. You know, that's the one that. And that's what we want, right? Like, even in our pop songs, even in Roll Down the Windows, baby, let's go for a drive. I want to know that you, I want to know that you mean that. Yeah. If you don't mean that, then I don't care. You know, we, we, we want that. We want that honesty. We want, because we all want connection. We all want, and the simplest dumb love song, we want somebody to feel that way about us. So that's why it matters, you know? And that's why it's different when you actually write it about the girl you're in love with versus then when you, you know, it's like getting a Hallmark card. It's like, yeah, this was this was written for me to spend nine dollars on this stupid car at Kroger. Versus, <laughs> yeah. I wrote this. I actually like wrote a poem for this girl, and it might be a terrible poem, but guess what? It means more because it's genuine. Well, one of the things you have alluded to throughout our conversation today is you've talked about relationships and community, and obviously that's one of the key elements of my podcast is making sure that mm. we're we're focusing on the importance of that because I think so often in our society we get stuck on the me 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 and we stop looking at community. So you've talked about taking a song to your community and saying, does this resonate with you too? You've talked about investing in artists so that you know them, uh, so that you can provide good guidance and advice to them. Almost all of your podcasts are conversations with people that you know from some part of your life, it seems like. Yeah. How do you, inten- it's obvious that you intentionally create community, and this question is probably too big to ask and probably way bigger to answer, but how do you prioritize the creation of community in your life? Sure. Man, that's a great question. Uh, and I love that, that I love that. I just love that, that 
was a theme that you picked up because I, uh, I want because that's what I want the theme of my life to be. Um, but I, uh, yeah, you know, the truth is that I'm, I'm a, if anything about my life, whether my, it's my work or my family or my marriage, or, uh, if anything that I, you know, am doing in my life is successful in any way, it's because I'm the product of a really fruitful community. Um, God has just been incredibly kind to me and the people that he's put in my life. Um, and, and, uh, you know, in a work sense, most of the people that I work with now, uh, I have worked with before, but we, we're in our, we're in different working relationships. Um, you know, like we started out in, in bands together and now, you know, I do A&R at this company and you're the publishing guy at this company and now you're a record producer and now you're it's like, oh yeah, but we're all the same people and, we've, and we value a lot of the same things. Um, and now we're in these positions where we get to do this work together and in 10 years we'll do different work together. Um, but I mean, isn't, isn't, isn't that the whole thing, right? Like Jesus ascends and he says, I'm going to send you the spirit. And you guys need to spend time. You guys need to go tell people like you guys need to band together and go tell people Yeah. like, like the church and the spirit are the two active ways that like that, that Jesus works in our lives. And, um, and you know, we, I use the word community a lot because, you know, my, my office isn't a church and my neighborhood isn't a church, but at the end of the day, like all these people are believers and we pour into each other. And so we're all a part of the church together. And of course that's going to shape us. And, and of course, if anything good that I'm going to say is going to be something that I'm borrowing from somebody that I love. Um, and, and whether they've taught, you know, whether they said that phrase or they just taught me that by their life. And I think because I, because I've been given such a beautiful history, uh, past and current of community. Um, I just really want that. I want that for the artists that I work with. I really desperately want that for my kids, um, for my family. And, um, and I really believe that, uh, you know, there's this myth of sort of the, you know, the great artist savant who, you know, Vincent van Gogh goes crazy, cuts off his ear, paints, you know, doesn't have any friends and just paints like a madman is a mad genius. But like, yeah, first of all, that's not true. Because uh, he did have a bunch of friends who were artists. He was in a community of artists. Somebody taught him how to do a lot of what he did. And he made a couple tweaks on it that were fantastic, right? Um, and he also hurt a lot of people. And nobody wants that life, right? We just want that painting. Um, but I, want, I, want, I believe that the best art comes from community. And it can mm. only come from community. Um, and that, that's how you get better is you watch your friends be good. And you, you learn from them, and you're challenged by them, and um, and you can see that you can see any any great author or artist or stand-up comedian or, uh, you know, television writer. You see that they're always a part of like a little movement, right? Like, oh, there's the Laurel Canyon stuff in the '70s in California. That's where the Eagles came from, and and uh, Carol King and Jackson Brown. It's like, oh yeah, they were all they're all friends, and they made each other better. You know, and it's, you know, if you peel back the, any, any music or art that you love, like you're going to find that there's a community there that, that supported it and that it came from. Yeah. And so, 
in the role I'm in now, it's the, the, the best way that I can serve any of my artists is by making sure they have other great artists friends mm-hmm. um, because they're going to do better work that way. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of it this way. I, I started my Christian Music Archive webpage because I'm a credit reader. And I was mm-hmm. fascinated by, oh, this person played on that person's album and he wrote on that person's album and yeah. and didn't think about it until you were just saying this right now. This was, I mean, even especially back in the Jesus music movement when there was, you know, 10, 10 artists out there, they yeah. were all working together. And as I've interviewed other artists, they're saying that same thing. Well, you know, I was in touch with so-and-so and they had a relationship with such and such. That's community. Yeah, and I, I hadn't even realized that until you said it this way that it's a, a common bond with people that have a common interest is sometimes the door to getting into that relationship with one another to be able to help each other and encourage and support one another. Yeah, I mean, the, the, what, what's wonderful to me is that the, the artists in my community who have shaped my music the most, I don't think of primarily as artists. Mm. I think of them as well, they're my friends. Like, oh yeah, well, our kids carpool together and, you know, like he said that funny thing the other night, like to other people, you know, to credit readers, they're this and that. And to me, like, oh, these are my friends. Yeah. And oh yeah, they're also brilliant. Um, and, and, and what's fun is like seeing our, our little crew and knowing like there was a crew before us and now seeing these younger communities come yeah. up and go, all right, how do we encourage this? And it's beautiful, man. I'm really thankful for it. And I mean, I'm thankful for you and the work that you do because, uh, you know, Christian music is not great at honoring its past. Right. Um, you know, there's a million documentaries about Motown, and there should be. Um, but we're, we have not done a great job as a, as a community of honoring our past. And, you know, spending time with Stephen Curtis Chapman when I was in his band and worked on a project with Amy Grant this past year. And like, these people are amazing. And they've yeah. shaped my life in such profound ways. And... And um, I just, yeah, whatever we can do to, to highlight the good that they've done and learn from, learn from that, what, what they've experienced and what they, they helped build, like, we're all the better for it. So I thank you, Dave. Oh, well, thank you for that. The other day, I, the other day, uh, for our listeners, this, was, this podcast was recorded shortly after the election, and we still don't know the answer. By the time you hear this, we probably will. But when I looked at the election and I saw almost 50-50 split between the sides, and I don't care which side of the fence you're on, to me that screamed, we're in a divided country. And community, to me, is the antithesis of division. So how do we as Christians, how do we as people who are wanting to engage culture, how do we build that community with one another? And how do we teach others the importance of community? Oh, dude, I wish I had an answer. So let's talk um, about for you, how have you, cause you are very intentional about community. How yeah. did you come to the point of saying this is important and I need to fight for it as opposed to just, Oh, it came by me and I just happened to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> Well, I know it's important and I know it's important and I fight for it because I mean, because I've been married for a long time and uh, like, I know the the way my friends have carried me in our, in hard seasons of our marriage. Um, You know, just the experience of, 
I know, I know how my friends, like when our house was flooded and, uh, you know, a bunch of the artists that we've just talked about were here in my basement, just picking up boxes and, you know, uh, picking up, you know, soaked sleeping bags. You know, we throwing this away and, yeah. you know, like the, the, I just, I can't, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to separate my, any part of who I am from uh, the people that have poured into me. And um, so I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how to, maybe how to answer that part of your question other than to say, it's just, it's so foundational to me. I can't imagine not it not being foundational to so, anyone else. So you have a young artist in your office and you're helping them through their songs. How do yeah. you tell them, dude, you've got to build a community and how do you encourage them to go get into community? Well, right. It's like, what's the worst, what's the worst way to like set somebody up? You need to meet my friend. You guys would be perfect friends. Go on a date. <laughs> it's like, no, you've got to like, Hey, we're all going to come over and watch a game. You guys should come bring chips. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you got to, you got to create. And this is where Andrew Peterson is like, the, he's like the world's greatest at this. It's just, he just gathers people. Hey, people that I love, let's all come over and do this thing. And then they become friends and, you know, and they get married and they start businesses and they do all the different things that people do. Um, so that, that I really feel like I'm, uh, I'm sort of stepping into that next season of my life of like creating the spaces um, for, for people to gather. Um, and, and particularly with our company, that's one of the, that's one of the things that I really value and, um, and am intentional about. Um, but man, as far as our, our country and yeah, that one's hard, man. That one's really hard, especially cause, uh, people come at it. The church comes at it from so much, such different viewpoints. Um, people who should have so much in common mm-hmm. can't seem to have anything in common. Um, I have one friend that I feel like I can really like really talk about it who's like the complete opposite of me politically we were texting for a long time this morning and there were some like yeah i see that okay i can see that and there were some like man i couldn't agree with you less (laughs) (laughs) but i'm like oh but i love this guy you know he's like a good friend um but i only have one friend i only have one friend that i can do that with on the political sphere right now without it getting unkind yeah. And um, I, I lament that. Uh, this is, I think, one of the, yeah, I, I, my great fear for the church moving forward in America is that, is that our voice for compassion and unity, the things that we're supposed to be known for, um, that people aren't going to believe in Jesus because they don't see it in us. Yeah. Um, that's what keeps me up at night um, a lot. I, I don't have a good answer for you. Well, and if I think if, if we did have a simple, easy answer, it, we would probably be doing it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, right? That's why I like to just get a lot of ideas, because I think I think the more we're aware of it being important, the more that we're aware of it working where it does work, the more we acknowledge where it doesn't work, that's how we grow it and make it more like what Jesus wants it to be. And that's us walking hand in hand together. Like you said, helping slog out the basement of our flooded home together is where we develop that relationship so that when we want to talk about things that are difficult, we know that it's a safe place because we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, and I honestly, I think the, 
the other active, like the other active thing we can do is like pray for the people that don't feel the same way as you do. And don't pray that they change their minds, but, but pray for the blessing in their life and pray for the goodness of God. And, um, and I think, I think the first, the first, the active step we can do is, is to spend time focusing on blessing other people rather than being bitter and, um, you know, blessings over bitterness and, uh, to pray that, uh, over those relationships. Yeah. But it's gonna be hard, man. It's yeah. Be hard, hard, actual hard work. Well, let's let's end this section on uh, kind of an upbeat note. Uh, I always like to hear people's uh, conversion story and about the the way that they have developed a relationship with Jesus as their own. Would you mind telling us a little bit about how you came to make uh, your relationship with Christ the priority for you? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I love the way that you phrased that. Um, you know, I, I've I've heard it said that the the number one tool for evangelism is the family. Um, and that would be my story. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, but I would say theologically, I, I, I'm I've probably, uh, I'm not in the same place as, as the, the church home that I was, was raised in, uh, which was pretty hardcore fundamentalist. Um, uh, but I got involved in, but I, I would say I, I learned a lot about God and Jesus and the Bible as a kid through that. Um, but then I think I really met Jesus uh, by being involved in Young Life in high school, a uh, ministry called Young Life, um, where some people just, and that's probably where my, my heart for community really started, is there were some people who had no reason to want to hang out with a weird, dorky freshman high school kid, um, and they did, and they just cared for me and cared about me, um, and it fundamentally changed my life. And so um, I think ever since then and I, i've always kind of had a love for for books and for um for music and and for kind of deep thinking so then i when i got to nashville i, I that's where i sort of felt, found other people that um not only valued those things I, I was raised in kind of a farm town um i found people that all of a sudden like oh other people that think about books and music the way i do uh and you think about jesus the way i do um and just found this, some some really a, a sort of amazing uh, church leaders that were able to kind of put, give me a structural thought uh, to a lot of the feelings that I had. Um, oh, yeah, you, you're, you feel like, you know, this thing that you were kind of taught with as a kid maybe doesn't sit well with this other thing, and that's because this is what this is actually called, and here's where you can find this in the Bible, and just being, being sort of taught, um, uh, how to think and how to read the Bible and how to um, how to look at life in a holistic way uh, through a biblical worldview um, was really shaping kind of my early twenties and um, yeah so I'd say you know there's never been one defining moment for me um, other than maybe that that this college guy named Ben who remembered my name the second time I came to Young Life. Um, cause people did not remember my name, uh, when I was 14. And, um, um, but other than that, I think, you know, my, my life has just been a, a it's just been a, a long series of gradual realizations. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think that my, my hunch is that that's the way it's going to continue. Yeah. And I would surmise that a lot of that comes from the community that you're part of. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and and um, 
you know, particularly as my community at this point is like helping me find good books to read and good, good, uh, sermons to listen to. And, um, and I think I, I'll say this, the one thing that I probably, I probably lean too hard on my community and not hard enough on, on prayer and scripture. And, uh, I think the next season of my life is, I hope going to be, uh, that's going to be a stronger theme moving forward. We send out a, a weekly newsletter to uh, several uh, several hundred people that are committed to praying for our artists. And so how can we, in the weeks ahead, be praying for you and the work that you're doing? Oh, man, that's so kind. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, I think you can pray for our families, Evan, to, uh, you know, we're uh, we're all living together in this little house and going to school and working together all in this little house, um, which is, uh, I've been, I've, for the most part, been a blessing, but definitely has its, um, has its frustrations. And then um, I'd say maybe I've talked about how much I, I'm excited for this new generation of artists that are coming up and, and for them to meet each other and build friendships. Um, for them to not be able to make a living right now uh, has been really hard. Um, for that group of people. And so I, I think praying for provision and opportunity um, for just younger artists is, would be, is really impactful for what, what the next decade or two of the music of the church is going to be. Wasn't that a great conversation? I really enjoyed peeking behind the curtain to get a glimpse at how worship music is being created. I love hearing Andrew's heart for making sure that the music he is involved with will really lead to an intimate worship of God. And of course, I appreciate Andrew's intentionality to create and be involved in community. I'm also grateful for his reminder that we need to lean into prayer and scripture as well. Community that is centered around our relationship with Jesus is truly going to help change the world. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. If this was helpful to you, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for CCM Exchange. Your support and friendship are incredibly important to me, so thanks for reaching out. Oh, and also thanks for rating this podcast on your favorite podcast app. I feel the love when you share your thoughts about this project. Well, that does it for this week. Next week, I hope to share a conversation with a real legend of Christian music. I can't wait for you to hear it. So, until next week, remember, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>